and thoughts we've heard a thousand times be made new. Would you speak to us about who you long for us to be? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take your seat, and if you're in junior high, grades 6, 7, or 8, you can head to the youth room. So I was scrolling through my Twitter feed this week, and this picture came up. Anyone recognize this person? Even if you don't listen to his music, you've probably heard about him this week. This is Kanye West. I like the old Kanye. Let's look at the, the, yeah, the Oprah Kanye, Mama's Kanye. He's been making a lot of noise this week. Don't worry, I'm not going to show the picture with the hat. Don't want to cause a lot of... Problems. Maybe he's like having an album come out or, or five or something like that. I think he's. What I do want to talk about is something that in all the hoopla about this man that's been kind of going on in the news, CNN, whatever headlines you're reading, something kind of went under the radar. And it was a, it was a tweet that he put out um, that maybe it wasn't as TMZ style drama. I want to, I want to put this. This is a picture of the doctor who performed the cosmetic surgery for his mother, Donna West. Now, if you know Kanye at all, you know that Kanye is a mama's boy. I mean that in all the good ways. He, he had a song called Mama that was very powerful. He performed it on Oprah in front of her, and all of the mamas in the world wept. And this doctor... Jan Adams, he, he tweeted a picture of him. If you can't read it, it says, this is my album cover. This is plastic surgeon Jan Adams, the person who performed my mom's final surgery. Do you have any title ideas? I want to forgive and stop hating. Now, that's a powerful statement. However controversial it is, whatever you think about it, this is a man who's trying to work through Grief that's been steep in his heart for almost a decade now. And he says uh, that he, he wants to, to kind of stop the hurt. And at the next cover here, this is, the, this is the Shade Room's reaction. Dr. Jan Adams responds to Kanye West in an open letter. Kanye thanks him. Now, it's more than an open letter, I'd say. We're switching off, are we? All right, thank you. There we go. All right. It was more than an open letter that was written by the doctor. It was actually a cease and desist letter. I'll show you a tweet here from Kanye. Open letter from Jan Adams. This is amazing. Thank you so much for this connection, brother. I can't wait to sit with you and start healing. When I saw that tweet, my heart shook a little bit. I was trying to imagine myself in the place of, of someone as famous as Kanye, kind of dealing with this publicly and actually getting this letter from this doctor who basically says, 
hey, it wasn't my fault. The coroner says it's your cousin's fault. And yet Kanye reads this letter, and he basically says, I'm finally ready to start talking about this. I'm ready, ready to start to open up. How hard would this be? He loved his mom more than probably anything. And yet he realizes that in order to live, he has to forgive. He can't live in the bitterness and the pain and the darkness that he's felt with this hatred towards this man after all these years. He realizes that to become a better person, he's going to need grace if he's ever going to be able to move on. And I would say, as we've been talking last week about the glory of God and reflecting the glory of God, this call to reflect the, the forgiveness and the grace of God is incumbent upon anyone who says that they follow Jesus. And it's not easy. And as you can tell, we, we've titled this, this series, Reflecting Perfection. And I don't know about you, that's a little scary. Like, whoa. Does that mean like, I have to be perfect as my Father in Heaven is perfect? I think, as I preached on this before, that call is Jesus letting us recognize you will never be perfect until he returns. And yet there's this reality that Christ has come to help us grow and better reflect the glory of God, of who he is. And so what I want to do this series is look at some of the characteristics that we see in God, we see in Jesus, and ask ourselves, how do we reflect this in our own lives? Recognize it doesn't mean that we somehow work it up, that we have to do this. We have to, it's, it's actually recognizing there's a grace that comes from God. It's almost like a, a fruit of the Spirit type of series. Peace and gentleness and kindness. This is all stuff that wells up inside of us as we look at and stare at Jesus Christ. As, the more time we spend with Jesus staring at him, the more we will reflect Jesus Instead of trying hard to, to be like him, just spend some time with him. Sit at his feet. Let him reflect off of us as we learn to soak in his presence. And this is important because this is the whole reason why we're starting this series with grace. Because we need to take this picture of Jesus and have grace with ourselves to recognize we will never be this perfect. And yet, as we sit in the presence of the perfect, it can't help but start to rub off on us. Naturally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more like that which we gaze upon. And so each week we're going to spend a, a time with the story of Jesus, and we just demonstrated some of these characteristics, and just look at how does this look as Christ starts to begin to reflect off of me? And we begin with forgiveness. Not just like a forgiveness. We think about God, and we think about Jesus. Oh, he forgave us, and it's kind of this universal sense of salvation. What we're going to talk about is a very specific, very personal act of forgiveness on Jesus' part towards someone who really hurt him, who really let him down. We begin shortly after the resurrection. I, I want to kind of walk with the story for a little bit just to help get us into the, 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 the background of what's happening. This is John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we're going to go with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught 
nothing. I am going fishing. Four words. Four words of dejection. It's a a rejection of his selection. Peter is caught up in his imperfection. And so he decides, I'm going back to what I did before Jesus. You can almost hear hear the sting in his heart. Like he knows Jesus is raised from from the dead. He's been called to go to Galilee. And yet here he is. He's sitting here and he's like, I got to go back to fishing. I got to go back to what I know. I am confused. You have to remember in his heart is seeing the stinging rejection that he had towards Jesus, three times denying him. And it's interesting to me that the others join him. You know what? We're going to go back to fishing too. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Do you have any food? I wonder when, you, when you're fishing, you're off on the shore, and some guy comes up to you, you don't really recognize this, hey, do you have any food? Let me feel like, like, who is this mooch? No, we don't, we don't have anything. Right? That's what they're, they're like, what? No, no food. Thanks for rubbing it in. And what's really interesting about this story is it, it comes across like he's asking them for food. Hey, can I, can I have some food? But what happens is he literally ends up feeding them. And he spiritually ends up feeding them. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment where he had removed it. And he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they're not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. And bread. And Jesus said, Bring some of the fish that you just caught. Now, as soon as Jesus, uh, John realizes it's Jesus, he, he's, he loves Jesus so much. He's like, Ah, it's Jesus. He has a spiritual discernment. He's able to recognize it's Jesus. And you can just see Peter. Peter's like, Boom, I'm gone. He's, he's gonna jump on the boat. But then he remembers, Oh, wait a second, I'm shirtless. It's kind of, you don't want to sit in front of royalty with no shirt on. So this is this weird thing where he's in the boat, very comfortable, fishing, and then he puts on this robe, ugh, and then he jumps in the water. Comes out looking even like a wetter soaked fish, right? But he has this moment of just like, I need to respect my Lord. So he throws in his coat, and he jumps out. He is eager you can read in the psychology of Peter, he is eager for redemption. It's Jesus, and he's just out there. It's like a natural reflection. All the questions he has in his head. I wonder as he's walking through the water, probably trying to race the boat, like, wait a second, the boat's gonna catch up on me. Why did I do this? He's probably thinking things like, what am I doing? 
does he even want to see me? Maybe, maybe he should meet the others first, and I can come in behind and kind of say, hi, hey. And yet he's there. He's like, no, I love him too much. I'm, I'm, I'm going. He responds with his heart. His heart wanted Jesus. More than anything. And so despite all these questions, he presses forward toward his Lord. Now, we don't know what Jesus said to Peter when he arrived. I imagine he kind of beat the disciples there. But it doesn't sound like it was anything important. There's no, like, important conversation here. He just arrives, and he says, Jesus says, hey, get me some fish. And Peter jumps quickly to fulfill his wish. Simon Peter went up, and he dragged the net to land full of large fish, like the Hulk. Like, oh, I'm going to take this. 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said, come, eat breakfast. I, I'm very, I like Jesus. I love Brecky, so I'm like, yeah, this is my guy. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. And then Jesus came and he, he took the bread and he gave it to them. And likewise, the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus showed up to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Notice Peter again just jumps to, to, to the moment. Oh, I can serve Jesus again? Okay, I'll get the, I'll get the fish. Whatever I can do, uh, can I make it up to you? It might be a simple drawing in a fish, but it shows his heart. And it's interesting, this word drag or to draw in the fish is the exact same word that Jesus often uses in the book of John when he's drawing people to himself. And I imagine he heard that word, if in Peter's mind, he kind of flashed back to the, the very beginning of all this when Jesus said to him, I'm going to make you fisher of people. When the call had started with all of its excitement, I'm going to be a fisher of people. And the fact that he had let go of this and now was back to the fish. We need to take a moment and just recognize that the author, as he's writing the story, John, he's setting it up with a very important fact. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to them. And I can imagine this number is just haunting Peter. How many days was Jesus in the grave? Three days, raised on the third day. Now, this is the third time he's showing up to Jesus. And I can imagine with Peter always thinking, it was like, three times, three times, three times I denied him. Three times I betrayed him. Three times. That is the number of his failure, of his bailing on his Savior. And knowing that this, this turmoil is just going around in Peter's heart, Jesus takes a moment to talk with his number one lieutenant. And so when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, 
Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him for the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus begins by asking this powerful question, do you love me more than these? And you might have kind of question, what is he asking about? Is he saying like, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? For Peter, that's probably pretty easy. Yeah, man, those guys are losers. I love you, Jesus. That's probably not what he's asking. He's saying, do you love me more than they love me? And why is he asking that question? Well, if we read Matthew 26, 33, it says this. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That was, that was Peter's attitude through the ministry of Jesus. Look at these other guys. I get it. They're, they're not as good. At, they don't have the focus. They don't have the training. They don't have the stamina to love you through anything. Jesus, I will be a martyr. I will die with you. He actually says that in John right at the final supper. I will go to the grave for you, Jesus. That's who I am. Peter, the one who loves Jesus more than anyone else. You can hear this, this ringing. All this stuff that he had said before, it's, like it's, it's ringing through Peter's ears. What is Jesus doing? It almost seems mean. So he's like, oh, Jesus, like three times? Ah, that stings. He asks again, do you love me? And then Peter's starting to feel sheepish. How can I feed the sheep when my, my loyalty is in question? And then Jesus says it one more time, and it cuts Peter to the core. He is grieved because this is three times. Jesus is doing something, he, and Peter knows it. Oh, okay. You're talking about that. The thing I, I'm afraid to, to talk about. The thing I didn't want to talk about. The thing I just want to pretend didn't happen. The third time's the kicker. Now, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He doesn't, he doesn't know what else to say now. He's like, he, and what's interesting is he appeals to Jesus' character. You know everything. You know my heart. You know I denied you. You know it was because I was scared. You know I love you. I hope you do. Please, Jesus. Please. I want to point out three things that I think Jesus is doing here. That as we study and spend time with him, hopefully we begin to reflect as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. The first that he's he's forgiving Peter publicly and, and unmistakably. He's making sure that everyone knows that he's forgiven. I believe, and I think you would notice too, Jesus has already forgiven Peter. Jesus doesn't harbor any ill will towards him. He's resurrected. He has other things to think about. He's got a whole kingdom to prepare for us. He showed up in the presence of Peter. He's not, he's not upset. He's not bitter towards Peter. But Peter had not been able to bring himself to the place 
where you could ask Jesus for forgiveness. You know, even that place where you're, you're ashamed, and you, you, can't even, you can't even ask because you know you don't deserve it. So Jesus took the first step. Jesus actually brings the topic up. And in all of this, he's giving forgiveness. This takes courage. This takes heart. This takes the Holy Spirit. I gotta say, it's a supernatural power for you who have been wronged, harshly, denied by your top disciple for you to go to someone and help them be forgiven. That is a hard thing to do. It sits in your soul because, like, I am right. Jesus knows, like, I'm right. Peter, you're a jerk. And yet, Jesus doesn't act like that. He goes and he helps. And as much as we thought, like, it feels kind of mean, it's not mean. He's helping bring the unspoken to the surface. He's bringing the thing that's sitting, the, the elephant in the room. He's saying, hey, look at that thing. Let's just move that out of here. That takes bravery. Jesus shows us that we, as we begin to truly reflect God, as we truly begin to reflect him, that we will be people who will be able to go to people who need our forgiveness. Help them recognize their need for forgiveness. To, that we can be the ones to step up and, and put it to the side. I've had to do this before when I was young. And I know it would be more powerful to tell you about it, but I can't. I know what it's like to forgive the unforgivable. You know what? It forms your character. It changes you. It, it helps you become a person who looks like Jesus. And part of doing the difficult thing of forgiving is to realize that, that many times the other person is just unable to even ask for forgiveness. They need it more than, than you do. The second thing that Jesus is doing here is that he's helping Peter learn to forgive himself. Peter needs to forgive himself. Kanye needed to forgive himself. Kanye paid for his mom's plastic surgery. You can imagine the question that was going through himself. What if I didn't pay? What, was it my obsession with fashion and outward appearance that, that made her get the surgery? I'm sure if I was him, I, I have a lot of guilt building up on myself. Healing would only come through forgiveness. Forgiveness of the doctor, forgiveness of himself. Now I know this is difficult. It's easy to say, forgive. It's, it's easy to say, forgive yourself. Doing it is a different story. Can I suggest that you forgive yourself for not forgiving yourself as a start? Be patient with yourself. Forgiveness is, is a personal journey, and yet it's something that God calls us to remember. If we say, no, no, I can't forgive myself, what we're saying is, God, whatever. I know better than you. You forgave me, but I'm not worthy of forgiveness. It's actually a supreme arrogance to not forgive yourself. 
of what God has forgiven you of. And it's very difficult, and yet God calls us, accept my forgiveness. Peter, recognize you're forgiven. And the third thing that happens is that Peter is restored to leadership in the community. This is why it's public. In front of the others, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus calls himself the great shepherd many times. And now all of a sudden he's saying, hey, Peter, you need to step up. I'm going. It's your turn. Feed my sheep. I trust you. Forgiveness allows us to move on. You know, and sometimes forgiveness, I, I understand this. Sometimes you forgive someone, and you're not going to be walking hand in hand with them, singing kumbaya for the rest of your life. Like, it's just like, okay, I've forgiven, but that doesn't mean that we can operate in the same spheres. But what it does mean is that the person who's forgiven is able to move on with their life. They are released to move forward in the forgiveness that they've been given by Jesus. And we, as the forgivers, need to allow ourselves to let them move on with their life. And we, as the forgiven, must allow ourselves to move on with our lives. And guess what? You can betray Jesus three times and still be called to leadership. If I was going to sum up the gospel in five words... It would be grace, 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 grace. I know that's one word. But we need to keep drilling it into our heads. Grace, grace, let it wash over us. How do we do this? I think we begin by just allowing our feelings to be acknowledged as they really are. I don't feel like forgiving God. Read the psalm. There's all sorts of cries. God, like, I hope you destroy my enemies. Like, let that out. Acknowledge it. It's there. God knows it's there. The first key is to allow this out of you. The poison that's been building up, to to let it out. I think it's also key to, to let go of trying to control how other people act. You can't force them to feel guilt. You can't. You cannot control their attitudes or actions. Some people may never think that they need forgiveness. And you're going to have to allow yourself to recognize that reality and move on. I'd even go further. Listen to their side of the story. That's what, what Kanye did with this doctor. He's like, actually listened to the story for the first time and went, ah, amazing. He wrote amazing to a cease and desist letter. There's often something you can learn about yourself. Or, you know what, you can at least empathize with them. Oh, I get it. Maybe that's why they act like that. Because this happened to them. Be careful not to, to, to look for opportunities to be offended. It's so easy, especially right now in our culture. You know, if someone does something, ah, you can just throw it on Twitter with a little hashtag and boom, you are justified in the eyes of Twitterdom. Maybe instead we look for opportunities to, to look like Jesus, to, to forgive like Jesus. Look at these opportunities. You know what? I can do something here that's not easy, but boy, I get to be like Jesus. 
I think something I've learned in my life is to switch focusing, you know, blaming other people. Start focusing on how I respond to things. How, how am I going to work through this? The most terrible deeds can, can be done to you, but don't let them lock you into a state of perpetual hate and bitterness. That, that's not going to help. How, how, how is that going to help? Give it to God. The gospel calls us to reflect the character of God, of Jesus. Begin, begin to forgive like he did. And it might surprise you what you are capable of doing when you spend time soaking in the forgiveness that God has given to you. Just spend some time going like, oh, maybe in your own head, you're like, think of all the things this week that God has forgiven me for. Now when I look at the other person, they look a little less bad. Still pretty bad, but less bad. I think that you will recognize it's not even me that's doing this forgiving. It's, it's God himself. I, I want to show you a video that helps us get a sense of what is possible when the Spirit starts to control us. Is, this, is a, this is a woman I'm sure who thought I would never be able to do this. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, Thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. 
To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News. Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Just imagine someone turning on the TV and seeing that. Is there a more powerful witness to Christ? It's powerful. Beautiful. Reflects perfection. Unforgiveness is like a cancer. It'll eat you from the inside out. The forgiveness is for me. It's powerful words. And we need to ask ourselves, where is resentment in my life? Bring it to God. Ask him to grow you, for, for him to fill you with a spirit of forgiveness. And be patient. But be open. Let, let Jesus begin to reflect off of you. Manton says this, for these 6,000 years, God has been multiplying pardons, and yet free grace is not tired and hasn't grown weary. For however long you've been living, God's just been showering you with forgiveness. He's not got tired of it. He's calling us to forgive. May we begin to reflect the perfection of forgiveness and grace in Jesus in ways that just baffle the hearts of those who are around us, and even ourselves. To close, I'd like to repeat for all of us a, a prayer, an ancient prayer from St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives, and it is self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned, and it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen. Today, as we approach the table, let us come with the spirit of forgiveness. It says in Scripture that if someone has something against us before we come, let's make it right. Maybe we need to, in our hearts, 
Give it to God. Like, God, forgive me for this. Like, confess that sin as we heard earlier. Maybe we have bitterness against God. We're maybe mad at God, as we heard Jonathan in his video. And maybe even as Peter was for a second when Jesus was talking to him, let go of that and realize that we need forgiveness. For as he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And the, the wine is a sign of your forgiveness. As you drink from that cup today, allow forgiveness to wash over you. And as we walk away the table, and we walk towards others, offering them grace and forgiveness. Amen.